Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast. This is Matt Bird, the Chief Executive of Cinnamon International. I'm very privileged today to have as my special guest, Rabbi Hanan Schlesinger. I'm here in Israel, uh, having the most incredible time. Uh, I first met uh, Rabbi Hanan actually in the United States, where he was introduced to me by a Christian Palestinian. And the Christian Palestinian was introducing uh, Rabbi Hanan as the speaker. And he said, I would like to introduce you to my enemy and my friend. Rabbi Hanan, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk together. Happy to be with you. It's, uh, how did you, I mean, when your friend uh, introduced you uh, in that way, he'd never done, he'd never made that introduction for you before. How did that make you feel? Well, uh, that particular friend of mine ran it by me before he introduced me. I read it. It uh, moved me to tears. He went on to say something like, I told him, so the speaker said, I told him, meaning Hanan, me, that I was a Palestinian, and he said, I recognize you. I told him of my suffering, and he asked, what can I do to relieve it? He went on and on like that, and he was talking about uh, human empathy. He was talking about the ability that he saw in me to go beyond what I call the hubris of exclusivity and to see the humanity on the other side. I was touched by that because uh, he got it, my friend got it. That's exactly what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do in my organization Roots. We're trying to go beyond what I call the disease of the hubris of exclusivity. The hubris of exclusivity is a very serious disease. I actually think it's fatal. It's a disease in which I say, I am real and you are fake. My faith and my people exist and yours is fabricated. My connection to the Holy Land is legitimate and yours is illegitimate. This land is mine and it's not yours. Mm -hmm. And when we go beyond that disease, it's not that we say that the land is not mine. No, the land is still mine, but it's also yours. Yeah. And my identity is still true, but yours is true also. Yeah. So in your work, let's just, just look at this a moment, because I'd love for people, leaders around the world who are going to listen to this podcast, I'd love them to understand what is your approach when you sit down Palestinians and Jews together? How does that happen and what's your approach, your strategy? I can answer in one word. Listen. In other words, we in this organization that we created roots, we have somehow set down a groundwork, a framework that says no one is here to argue and no one is here to prove his truth at the expense of the other truth. But at the same time, no one is here to forego their identity. We are here to, number one, listen to the other's identity and number two, we're here to tell our identity. So you could sum it up and say it's about storytelling. I come here not to listen, I'm sorry, not to argue, I come here to listen. And if I listen hard enough, and if I challenge myself enough not to react in anger, not to reject, not to 
argue and say what you're saying is false or ridiculous or historically uh, a lie, I listen to the person's identity and I find room in my soul to include it and I show him enough respect and recognition so that then he becomes ready to listen to my story. Mm-hmm. And I tell my story not with any sense of self-righteousness or trying to prove that I'm right. Simply, this is who I am. Yes. This is the sociological, psychological reality of this land that I say this about me and I see this about my people and enough of my people say this about us so that it's our, it's yeah. our sociological truth. And then my conversation partner listens. And in mm. the end, we ask ourselves, can we really listen to this? Because it's traitorous to listen, it's ridiculous, it's almost immoral to listen to their stupid, terrible, false things they're saying. But you listen until it hurts. And then you realize the only way forward in this land is for both sides to listen to each mm. other and accept the validity of the way they understand each yeah. other. And ultimately, like my Palestinian partner says, Ali Abawad, we're trying to find a way to fit two truths into one heart. I'm really excited uh, to be joined by Sami Awid, the Chief Executive of the Holy Land Trust. I'm here uh, in the incredible city of Bethlehem. Tell me a bit more, your enemy and your friend. Well, I mean, the reality that we live in today is that we live in a situation where Palestinians and Israelis are in a lockdown, in war and conflict, animosity. Yeah. Uh, we grow up knowing that we're supposed to hate each other. We grow up in a situation where there is violence committed. There's an occupation that as Palestinians we live under, where our freedom is very limited, uh, if it even exists at all. And, and the situation for many, many years and decades is one of absolute conflict. Yeah, and I mean, so, as I drove in today past the wall, I mean, how high is that wall? Yeah, that wall is uh, like sometimes 10 feet, 10 meters high, even different yeah. areas, very long and, and almost completely surrounds cities like Bethlehem, walls and checkpoints and roads yeah. that are only used for Jewish settlers only that we cannot even drive on as Palestinians living in this land. And so Hanan Schlesinger, at, at one level, is supposed to be my enemy. Uh, he is supposed to be my, uh, the person that I'm supposed to resist and to fight and to hate. Uh, but part of what the calling we are called to do to be peacemakers is to yeah. engage with and to find out and to have conversations and to build relationships with. And, and over uh, the last few years, getting to really know Hanan Schlesinger and who he is and, and his understanding of Judaism and his need and desire to learn who I am as a Palestinian and to learn to respect me and to even struggle for my rights yeah. as a Palestinian has also made him become one of my best friends as well. So on one level, he still remains yeah. an enemy yeah. according to the politics that we live in. But on a personal level, he's become also one of my best friends as well, working together for peace and justice and equality yeah. in this land. That's quite incredible. And people listening today, they're thinking Palestinians, they're thinking Arabs, Muslims, people who fire rockets, terrorists. But you're a Christian Palestinian. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you the only one? I mean, are there others? <laughs> the, uh, you know, the... It's, it's really funny because when I, when I share with uh, groups of people that come here, I actually begin by saying I am a Palestinian Christian and my family actually goes back on record 
and like many, many Christians who live in this land for hundreds of years. Sometimes I would even claim that we go back as far as the Pentecost because yeah. what many people forget in Acts is that Arabic was one of the languages that was spoken in tongues by the disciples at that time. And so Arabs have been Christians since they won. And I always make sure that our friends in Europe and the United States understand that we are the ones that converted them. It wasn't the other way around. Mm. It wasn't some missionaries that came and converted some Muslims who became Christians. The Bible was built here, was created here. Christ was born in the city and the message of, of his love was spread from Bethlehem and from Jerusalem and from Judea and Samaria to all corners of the world. And the Christian community has always been here. And it still, of course, exists. The Palestinian Christian community, the Arab Christians in the Middle East still exist. And we've been existing yeah. for many, many centuries. And so what percentage of Palestinians in Bethlehem would be Christian, roughly? So in Bethlehem, it's about 30% of the community that is Christian. Bethlehem wow. has the highest concentration of Christians in the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem. So the majority of Christians actually live in Bethlehem yeah. uh, itself. Uh, and but, but the Christian community also exists in many other cities around the West Bank. And of course, the Christians who live inside yeah. uh, the state of Israel in Nazareth and Akka and Haifa, Palestinian Gosh. Christians who live there as I well. I bet many people, I just don't realize that. Do you ever feel like the world has forgotten you? I mean, you know, you're behind this wall now and, and, and you know, yeah. often Christians think about Muslims and uh, you know, do, do you feel like the world has forgotten you as a we, Christian community? Yeah, sadly we do feel that. We feel that the world uh, has completely forgotten or has ignored or sidestepped the whole presence of the Christian community and the historic role the church has played in being present in this land and preserving the holy sites. Most Christians come here as tourists and we call it even shuttle tourism. They come in and out of Bethlehem without even meeting the local community, without praying with the local Shallow Christians. Shallow tourism. Very shallow tourism, just taking pictures. I call it, you know, coming to the whole land is like coming to Disneyland for them. They yeah. complain about the lines and complain about the heat and take selfies with the church and then move on. Mm. This is not what pilgrimage is about. Pilgrimage means coming and meeting and connecting with the local community. And we want to encourage them to meet the local Christian and the Muslim community. Mm. You know, the beautiful thing is that Christians and Muslims live in this city and have lived in this city for centuries in peace and reconciliation with each yeah. other. Uh, many of my friends are Muslims and uh, I have people working for me who are Muslims, on the board Muslims, who understand mm. that I'm motivated by my faith in running this organization yeah. and who respect me and honor me for this and I want to be part of this journey as well. So yes, come here and come and meet the local Christian community yeah. and come and meet the local Palestinians yeah. and, and, and experience the hospitality and the warmth yeah. of the Palestinian community in this land. And don't be motivated by what the media says and what the political establishment says. Come yeah. here on your own and meet and find out what this story is really about. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges I think in the world at the moment, Sammy, is, is dealing with difference. So often we become polarized and uh, you know, the media, don't, I don't think, helps because the media loves conversation. It loves a debate and they find two extremes, put them on a panel, put them in an interview and let sparks fly. Yeah. Uh, and, and sometimes politicians you know, like difference because they, like they like to draw an audience to them and so they draw one audience by, you know, by marginalizing another audience. And, and so we, yeah. it seems that, um, that, that difference has been something that we, it's, it's, I think it's becoming harder and harder for people that are radically different to each other to accept each other. But, but what's, you know, how are you seeing 
relationships change yeah. and people accept people for who they are, even though they're different. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, the work that we do is to, to break the barriers of fear and that to create space where people can safely come together and sit and talk with each other is the key component of the work of reconciliation. We don't, you know, I mean, you know, even Christ said this, it's not about making peace with your friends, you know, it's easy to love the, the people who are <laughs> yeah. related to you. We are called to love the enemy. And that means we have to break all the fear in us that does not allow us to take the first step in reaching out to the enemy. And I've realized that sitting with somebody doesn't mean that my views change or my belief system change or unless I'm not confident in what I believe, then yes, maybe it becomes <laughs> scary for me. But if yeah. I'm fully embedded in my belief and my roots are deep in my faith and my belief, then I can sit with anybody. It does not affect anybody, anything for me to sit with somebody who has a different view than me and to hear them. Yeah. And, and for me, the greatest experiences of peacemaking was when I sit with people who are actually radical, who are seen as extremists. And I begin to understand who they are and mm. what are the stories. People don't just become radicals. People mm. don't just become extremists. People don't just become terrorists. There are stories behind, there are experiences that they face, their families face, their communities face, where they see as the only option for them to deal with this issue is moving into radicalism and extremism. I don't say this to justify violence, but it's very important. Because you're, you're for non-violence. Completely for non-violence and for peace work. But, but I think it's very important for us to create a distinction between the actions that people do and the stories behind the action. We sometimes judge people by their actions and condemn them by their actions. You know, somebody who steals, we call them a thief. But when we begin to ask, what caused that person to do this? Mm. Again, doesn't justify the act, but let us look into the history, yeah. look into the trauma that people experience, yeah. look into the poverty that people experience, yeah. look into what is the cause that makes people mm. become violent. God yeah. does not create anybody mm. to be violent. Mm. You know, I run a business relationology about the art and science of relationships, and I work with businesses. And one of the things I encourage people and say is, if somebody behaves badly, yeah, I mean it's bad behaviour, but actually, there's normally a reason why they're behaving badly. Exactly. And actually, to be able to say to them, "Hey, is everything all right?" Yeah. You know, rather than behaving badly back to them, yeah, yeah. actually, just become an, an opportunity for them to actually yeah. let you know. It's not to excuse what they've done. Yeah. And, um, we want people to apologize on their own for the behaviors that they did. And the way to do this is by honoring them for their stories and give them space where they can heal. Mm. And, they, and I've seen this. I, I've seen people who, again, would be considered as radical and extreme, mm. completely transformed by just sitting with them and hearing their story and hearing their grievance. Yeah. And it's Palestinians and Israelis, the yeah. same. It's not just one or the other. Could you give us one example? I mean, remove the names or use other names. But could you give us one example and one situation where you've seen uh, transformation in a oh, relationship? Yes. Yeah, there, there's a, a story I share of a person who is, is known within the Israeli Jewish community as one of the most radical extreme voices within the Jewish society. And it took me two years to arrange a meeting to sit with him. Mm -hmm. And I sat with him and the first thing he did was he started pointing a circle around his face and he started saying, you see this Awad? This is the face of the most radical Jew you will ever meet. I have ordered the killing of people like you. That was his introduction. Oh my goodness. And then for over two hours, I just listened to him and his story. And story after story of loss, of pain, of hurt, 
that he and his family and his community has experienced. And just by sitting and listening to him, he said, I have never had even Jews listen to me the way you as a Palestinian is listening to me. Mm. And that began to change his life. Mm. And so it is possible to yeah. have this work done. Yeah. Be, being heard and listened to is so close to being loved that most people can't tell the difference. Exactly, exactly. The power of listening and hearing and understanding yeah. is an incredible gift to give to someone. This is what we are called to do, just to listen without judgment, without condemnation, without even providing him solutions or answers. Just listen with compassion and open heart to somebody. And it was amazing. I mean, yeah. and this person has, we've, we've built a relationship out of this. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. I mean, we we have to believe that people can change, people can heal, people can transform. If we keep pushing people into the corner and keep marginalizing them, they will react. When we invite them in, mm. they will also engage with us as well. Mm. So you know, we want to follow Jesus. We want to we want to be we want to be peacemakers that are blessed because that's what Jesus said. So people that are listening, leaders in cities around the world that are that are dealing with different sorts of difference and the difference. You know, here in Bethlehem, and uh, you know, what what three bits of advice, practical advice, would you give leaders listening today, that would help them actually develop reconciliation in their communities? Well, I mean, the the verse that that comes to my mind is 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 the verse that really answers the question: What did Jesus do every day as a peacemaker? And Matthew four twenty three is the verse that I lead with. And there are four major points in Matthew yeah. 4, 23. You can have four. Yeah, you, yeah, I'm going to take four. You said three, I'm going to take four. <laughs> Why not? And the verse, walking, healing, teaching, and preaching. Jesus walked, and that means he went into the communities that were the most marginalized and were seen as the enemies. He went and met the Samaritans. He met the Romans. He walked and engaged and listened to them. Mm. And he shared his heart with them. The second is healing. We need to heal the wounds of these communities communities that are seen as violent or as, as uh, extremists are communities that are wounded and are hurt. Mm. The only way to deal with them is not to judge them and condemn them again, but to engage in healing. This is what Jesus would do today. He would heal. Mm. And Jesus was healing not for the sake of showing off. He was healing to liberate us from the constraints that did not allow us to live our life the way God intended that life to be lived. The third thing he did was teaching. He was giving us the skills on how to live our life today. Yeah. Once you are healed, then you have to learn how to live your life. You cannot be motivated by the trauma and the pain of the past. You have to learn new ways, nonviolence, conflict resolution, leadership development, economic development for these communities becomes key and important. Mm. And we have the skills to teach this to the others. And the fourth thing is preaching or manifesting the kingdom. Ultimately, we are called to manifest the kingdom in our lives today. Mm. This is what the prayer is about. This is what Jesus called us to do. And so to build a vision together with them as a community, what does it mean to live in a community that has diversity, that we honor and respect each other? What mm. does it mean for us to manifest the kingdom in our lives? Mm. So these are the four points I always encourage people yeah. to engage in. Walk, heal, teach, and preach. This is what Jesus did. Wonderful. Hey, Sammy, it's just been wonderful to be here in Bethlehem with you and to hear your story. And uh, it's quite remarkable. And I just want to thank you for that moment when you introduced uh, Rabbi Hannon as your enemy and your friend, because it's what triggered 
our relationship and our friendship. So thank you very much. Thank you for coming and keep coming back. We need you to keep coming back to Bethlehem and to be with us. Thank you. Thank you very much.